Um, love this book and love the movies, so listen as we begin. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's. Staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every who down in Whoville beneath was busy now hanging a mistletoe wreath. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas, it's practically here. Then he growled with his grinch fingers nervously drumming, I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. Well, it's quite a story. It's made into quite uh, two movies. Uh, I, I guess my favorite version would be the Jim Carrey version, and you can see a picture of Jim Carrey here. Quite a sight, isn't it? Uh, it? It said that Jim Carrey took eight hours just to put his makeup on every day for this. Now, that's not my favorite picture of Jim Carrey. Let me just go ahead and be honest. This is my favorite picture. I love Dumb and Dumber, one of my favorite movies, but it's too bad it's not a Christmas movie. There, there is snow in it, though, so maybe we could stretch it. But as you look at this, this movie, The Grinch You Stole Christmas, it's like so many of our movies. Movies touch us, they make us laugh, they make us cry more than almost anything else. And often they can serve as modern-day parables. And the point of the parable today is what, what The Grinch is saying And what I think so much of our culture is saying, even Satan would be saying today, I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. And that's the story. The Grinch spends his time trying to destroy Christmas. And it finally climaxes with him stealing all of Whoville's Christmas gifts. But let's be honest about this. He's not the first to stop, to try to stop Christmas. There's this passage in Romans 12 from the spiritual battle in heaven. Listen to Romans 12, verse 10. Satan's the first to try to stop. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Listen, my friends. Satan wanted to stop Christmas before it ever began. And then when it's beginning, the second, not the Grinch, was Herod. Look with me in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Herod was a cruel dictator king who declared himself the king of the Jews. And he ruled with an iron fist. And we'll see that he was extremely paranoid. And so in Matthew chapter 2, he goes out to destroy the child Jesus. Look at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now for Herod, who self-proclaimed himself the king of the Jews, these words stung and brought out the worst in him. He tried to cover it up. Here's how he really felt, though. 
When King Herod heard, that, heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So the religious scholars get together, they answer. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet has written. And then they quote from the prophecy of Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Now you keep reading the story. He sends them off to Bethlehem. He tells them to go report back to him so that he too might go and worship this new king. And so a star leads them to the house where these magi do present their gifts and worship the king. But the angel warned the magi not to go back to Herod. His motives were not pure. And the angel warned Joseph to get out of Bethlehem. And him and Mary and Jesus fled to Egypt. And then we see verse 16, which would belong on no Christmas card. It's a terrible, terrible beginning. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So Herod does everything he can to stop this. Now what's Herod's problem? What can be our problem over these next 20 days? What was the Grinch's problem? I thought it was put well in the book. His heart was two sizes too small. Listen to me, my friends. The big issue of our life is our heart. The Grinch may put it that our heart is two sizes too small, but Scripture would put it that if we're not careful, we develop a hard heart. We develop a heart that cannot be touched. It's like the parable Paul preached on last Sunday of the parable of the sower and the seed. It's that hard ground where the seed doesn't have a chance. No matter what happens or what's said or what's done, you still are not able to receive it. And that's what's going on with Herod. And that's what's going on with the Grinch. And the point this morning for us is it could be going on with us. So how does a heart grow small? Well, let me just give you a few reasons here that I think hearts grow small. First of all, are wounds from the past. You've just been wounded at some point. And the, the natural thing to do when you're wounded is protect yourself. And King Herod would be no different. The reason he became king was because his dad had become friends with Julius Caesar. And he asked to become king of the Jews. He, he never really is accepted. He's an Edomite which is not a descendant of Isaac, but of Esau. Now, he wants to be accepted. He embraces Judaism as his religion. He rebuilds the temple in an elaborate fashion. Took decades. He's in power for four decades. And he kept the peace. But even despite all of this, he was brutally condemned by the Sanhedrin. And over those decades, he became more and more angry and paranoid and let's just say it, evil. Because number two, he had a desire for control. Because when you, when you begin to want to control everything around you, it, it makes your heart grow hard. Because we know control is an illusion and you can't, and yet you try and you try and you try. 
And boy, did King Herod try. He killed his wife. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed three sons. Anybody that was a threat to him. He had a 10-year-old brother-in-law that one day in a pool he held him under until he drowned to death. He was a paranoid ruler. And he would crush his opposition. So when he hears of this baby, this innocent, powerless baby, he believes he must destroy him because there was no room in his hard heart for anybody else. There's no room, certainly, for a rival king. And then how does a heart grow small? It, it goes into isolation. You begin to close your heart off and your life off to people. People have hurt you, and so you don't want them to have a chance to hurt you again. Can you imagine the complete isolation they lived in? I mean, if you were a person living in that day, would you want to get anywhere close to this king who would murder the people closest to him? Reminds me of the paranoia of Kim Jong-un, the leader, the dictatorial leader of North Korea. Have you ever read much about him? You know, he's killed lots of his relatives. He's killed many of his generals. And he lives in complete paranoia with only a few people around him and certainly food tasters to taste every bit of food before he eats it because he knows someone's going to want to poison him. Can you imagine living that way in complete isolation? And then the fourth point of how a heart grows hard, and, and this is the bottom line, this is the, it's selfishness. God's selfishness is really the root of sin. Selfishness is, I think my way is better than God's way. Like an old Methodist preacher, E. Stanley Jones, who said, the most used word in hell is the word I. And to be centered on self today is to be in hell today. My friend, selfishness is the root of all sins. It's my complete Focus on me and what I like and I want and I desire. And though that sounds like in the American way, that's the way to happiness. Look out for number one. It's the way to absolute misery. And it's a way to a hard heart because everything's not going to go your way. I was really proud of my son Lincoln over um, Christmas. I asked the question I challenge y'all to ask, excuse me, over Thanksgiving. I asked the simple question in our, at our Thanksgiving table, what's God been doing to get your attention? And it was cool, finally at a point where my kids don't buck a question like that and don't laugh it off, you know. It took me a long time, but we actually had this incredible conversation. And when he got to Lincoln, he said, talked about some things going on in his life. Then he said, what God has taught me is that I am not the main character in my life. Oh, boy. I said, repeat that. I'm writing that one down. I am not the main character in my life. Guys, because when you become the main character in your life, you are going to be miserable, and your heart is going to grow more and more hard. And guys, while we're making the parable, that's what happened to the Grinch. It's just a little eight-year-old boy. You know, he had, he had been delivered to um, Whoville. It's the wrong delivery. He didn't belong there. He was green and his face was hairy. And his eight-year-old boy, he's in elementary school. And he's, you know, got a crush on this little girl. And it's Christmas, so he goes and he produces a, a beautiful gift for her. And he brings it back to give it to her. And in the midst of it, 
The whole class makes fun of him and talks about his hairy face and even the teacher laughs and he throws the gift away and he stomps out of the classroom and he climbs to where he'll live, Mount Crumpet, where he does all of these things because of the wound. He gets out of everybody's way so no one has control over him. He isolates himself with no relationships and he's completely selfish. Not only does he not like Christmas anymore, he doesn't want anybody else to enjoy Christmas. But the great thing about this parable is there's hope. And the great thing about the parable of your life and the story of my life is there's hope. Even if you have a hard heart, Scripture says over and over, that can change. Listen to some of these scriptures. Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Did you hear those words? Above all else, before you do anything else. The most important thing you have is your heart. The center of your life, the center of your emotions. Guard it. Because when your heart gets hard and it gets hurt, there's awful things that happen if you don't deal with it. You see, the problem with our four points back there is the hurt was never dealt with. All of us have hurt in our life. But if you don't deal with it, it ends up leading you into bitterness and hatred and terrible things. Look at, look at the great prayer that David prays about this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a great prayer if you want to guard your heart. Lord, would you just, would you just go on a search mission? Would you look in every corner of my heart and would you tell me where it's growing hard? And then David himself, after doing awful things, Praise this prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, could you create a clean heart out of a man who's murdered, who's committed adultery, who's lied, who's coveted, who's lust? I mean, my goodness, you name the Ten Commandments, he's almost broke them all. And yet God answers this prayer, and we know David is the man after what? God's own heart. Acts chapter 2, the very people who had just screamed a few days before for Jesus to be crucified are convicted by the message. And the Bible says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They had been so cut to their heart. My friends, can, can I ask you this? Can anything be said today that could cut to your heart? Can anyone, God himself, say something that would finally cut through to a point where you'd go, you know what, there's some things going on inside me that are working themselves outside me to hurt people that I want to get rid of. See, the truth, guys, is hurting people, you know the line, hurt people. And then look at this incredible verse, Ezekiel 36 but God promises you guys, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. You believe that God could do that? If you sit here today thinking, oh my goodness, my heart's gotten so hard. I've let things hurt my feelings. I've let, you know, other people hurt me. I've made myself I've made mistakes on my own that have hurt me. And I come to the Christmas season not really looking forward to this season. 
because my heart is too small. Now, here's the great thing about our parable today is that when the Grinch reaches the apex of his hatred and he goes back to Whoville and he steals every gift and takes it to him to Mount Crompet, he's bold enough to dress up as Santa Claus and go down the chimneys on Christmas Eve and take all of the gifts and take them back, something finally happens. Watch this clip from the movie. Grinch looks down at the city where he's tried to destroy Christmas, and it's not. And he begins to think, maybe Christmas is more than just the commercialism and buying the gifts. I took all the gifts. Actually, he'd taken all the food, and yet the people are still celebrating. How does God grow a heart? Let me give you three answers here. First of all, it's meaning. I love what the Grinch says. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. Because the way God changes our heart is when we see the true meaning of the story of Jesus. And we all know over the next few days that it's so easy for Christmas to lose its meaning uh, uh, in the midst of the commercialism and the gift buying, the debt and the hurry and the traffic and the cooking and the cleaning and the <laughs> even being around family. How many of you have somebody difficult in your family to be around? Raise your hand. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you must be the difficult person in your family, right? I mean, it's so easy in the middle of this that we get so busy, so overwhelmed by the way the world tells us we ought to spend Christmas that we don't enjoy the meaning of Christmas. Guys, if this thing can get through your heart, it will change you. And then the next thing here is so powerful is singing. Their sound wasn't sad. Why, their sound sounded merry. He doesn't expect, after he's stolen Christmas, for everybody to be rejoicing and singing. And it changes his heart. My friends, that's the power of music. I think that's one reason why movies are so powerful, is because not just the songs and movies, but even the background that's able to move you and change you. 
And today, I think about the song we sang just a little while ago. Today, for us, a child is born. As we sing through the next few weeks, would you pay close attention to these Christmas songs that have incredible lyrics? Because even beyond what a message can do, song can do so much more. It touches us. So there was meaning, there was singing, but then the most important thing in this story if, of how the Grinch's heart finally grew three sizes was loving. And, and the really, to me, if you look at the story here, if you read the whole thing, if you watch the movies, the best character, what I might even call the main character, is a little girl named Cindy Lou Who, who loves the Grinch, who walks up to Mount Crumpet, is not afraid of the Grinch, who never gives up on him. Listen to this quotation. Santa, don't forget the Grinch. I know he's mean and hairy and smelly, and his hands are cold and clammy, but I think he's kind of sweet. And by the end of the story, her love has changed him. Her love has changed him. My friends, the most powerful thing in our lives is love. We know that. Have you ever been loved by somebody to a degree that you know you didn't deserve? Have you ever been loved by somebody that they loved you and you just didn't really understand how they could? And yet that changed your heart. You guys, to imagine in the Christmas story that we are loved by God who loves us so much that he comes after us, he pursues us, that God is willing to come into the world as an innocent baby to grow up among us, to show us how to live and how to love and to down a cross to take our place and redeem us and then to give us adoption into his family. It's unbelievable type of love, and it will change you. So this morning, as we think about the Meredith Foundation for just a little bit, I want to bring Jerry Green up here with me. Let me get one more stool if we can. Jerry, you can take this one. And um, because I think Meredith Foundation has been such a powerful part of our church, and, um, you know, and I love this during this Christmas season. So I just got a, a couple of questions to ask Jerry. Um, first of all, for those that are new here, could you explain sort of the background and per our story here, the meaning of the Meredith Foundation? Well, in uh, December of 1995, we had our first child. We had um, been married for nine years. We had this very strange characteristic in our marriage. We, we liked each other, so we didn't have children for nine years. And, but that was a when, slam. Yeah, you. That, but, but um, it was... Um, the pregnancy was normal for a long time, and then uh, Monica went to the doctor one time, and uh, we were trying to do exactly what you shouldn't do. We were moving into a new house, changing jobs, and having a child in the same year, and I was packing stuff up, and I noticed she was crying, and uh, there were some growth problems with the baby, and uh, we ended up going back and forth to Birmingham for a bunch of tests, and um, I didn't know at the time they were eliminating the things they could treat, and finally they were left with things that were, were going to be um, fatal, were going to be terminal. And uh, she had trisomy 18, which is a chromosome disorder, and um, she lived for nine days right over here at Baptist East, and uh, we spent every day with her. And um, I, I can remember so many things about those times. Um, 
on the fourth day of her life, we had a room, hospital room full of these people, all our friends from here, and, and uh, the phone rang, and I answered the phone, and the neonatologist said, um, the test was positive, she has trisomy 18, she's not going to survive, I thought you'd like to know, and hung up, <laughs> and I'm like, at that moment, I had to figure out a way to get everybody to leave the room so I could tell my wife, and um, as I look back, I'm thinking, I didn't have to ask God to bring people to hold us up at that time because he already knew I was going to need them and they were already there. And so um, it, from that day, the next day, the elders came and prayed over us and Alec Jackson, one of the elders, told me, God's going to redeem this. You're not going to believe how he's going to redeem this. And I would say that statement from him had a huge part in us wanting to do this. Um, it was just uh, day after day, week after week, and uh, those of uh, it, it was just um, you know for the first year you don't care if somebody gives you a million dollars or takes a million dollars. You just really it's really hard to get motivated, and um, and so she she died on two days after Christmas. She was born on December eighteenth and died on December twenty seventh, and. Um, we buried her on a freezing cold day up in Prattville, and uh, there were, again, all of these people. <laughs> um, and so that, that's pretty much the story of her short life. Yeah. I, I love, Jerry, the story because what, what could have been one of those hurtful, painful moments that could have led to a lot of bitterness, you and Monica actually took it and, and found meaning in it and blessing in it. So this is the question I want to ask you today. I don't know if I've ever had a chance to ask you this question. Um, how has leading the Meredith Foundation, and all these things we're talking about here today, how has that changed your heart? Well, we, we talked about this, Monica and I are both, um, you know, every year on this morning, I get up, I've been up since about four o'clock this morning, and I always take my Bible, and Meredith's picture sits beside my bed, and I wake up to it every morning, I bring it in there by the dining room table, and I sort of look at her picture, and my prayer is... God, just let this honor you and honor her. And uh, so the uh, first thing I think of is her, and then it starts this real emotional journey. Monica does all the work in this. This is where, I mean, I'm completely worn out after this because I, from that moment, for those of you who know me best, my mind goes off into this. You know, I, when I'm teaching classes, I always am reminded, like, when her senior class came through PCA and that, that would, she would have been in that class, mm-hmm. Well, my mind goes back to all those kinds of memories and all those things, and um, where would she be now? And uh, the other thing I think of is other people that hopefully this foundation gives some hope to as far as they've lost children. I mean, even, and, uh, even other than I, I, I can't, when I'm sitting up here during this, I have to look straight forward because I, I do dumb things like while I go, I just glance to my left, and there's Doug and Susan who have lost a child too. And uh, I saw Doug Amos, who has lost a sister at exactly almost the same day as we lost Meredith. And, um, you know, I think of um, David and Melanie Vickers and Griffin. And uh, this year, Mark and Carlita are really on my heart with Tony. And uh, so that's the other thing that has sort of changed my heart. That it, It's like the Grinch. You, you don't notice things. You don't. And this made me notice and of course the third thing are the the people that this church has been able to help through the years um 
you know, I was like probably some of us here that are just, we don't think about it. And when people are living in poverty or when people have had down their luck and can't buy their kids Christmas, we, we tend to go, well, they did something wrong. You know, the book of Job, sort of his friends, well, you did something wrong. And I'm telling you, overwhelmingly, we have met a lot of people that were very well off one year and were buying their kids Christmas and eggs. And they, they hadn't done anything wrong. And the children certainly haven't done anything wrong. But um, I, I guess more than anything else, I mean, it's the overwhelming blessings that you guys have provided. I think I've said this before. If I hadn't, I'll say it now. Uh, God used you to defeat Satan in this. He used all of you. You gave us life back. And um, those of you who lost children, you know there's no better way to steal Christmas. And we were just determined. We made one tiny decision out of faith. And I, I'm certainly not a pillar of faith. Monica sort of is. But I, I'm that one tiny decision was... Kind of what Alex said, God's going to redeem this. When we decided to trust God, he, he made this way more than we could ask or imagine. <laughs> because his power was at work within us. That's that whole verse in Ephesians. And we saw it play out. Um, but it was, uh, it's, it's been an incredible journey. But I don't, want, I don't want anybody to ever think that the Meredith Foundation is a fundraiser. It's our little girl. I mean, it's always to us going to be our little girl. And if you have a little girl, you know what I mean. And um, I, we don't want anybody to give any money to this because, oh, it's a worthy fundraiser. Think of your little girl or think of your little boy. If they were suffering, if they were struggling, if they needed something, well, what would you do? I mean, people tell me all the time through the years have said I don't think I could do this <laughs> I see parents do unimaginable things when their child has a bad gray on a history test you will do anything for your children and I just if we can just for one day sort of put ourselves in the place of parents who find themselves for a multitude of reasons unable to help their children and that's who we want to help we just don't want anybody Christmas to be spoiled for anyone. All of you can look on the screen, and also there's an insert in your copy of Lifelines that will tell you exactly how you can give uh, to, this, to donate to the Meredith Foundation. I, I don't think I have to say anything else. This is such a, um, a beautiful thing that it, it's, it's certainly one of the times that we get to participate in the true spirit of Christmas. So if right now you want to go ahead and do that, or there's also some gift boxes, wrapped boxes on your way out that you can put any kind of cash or check donation, um, let me pray about this. Lord, um, we thank you for Jerry and Monica, and God, today we give thanks for Meredith and how you have redeemed what could be a very, very terrible situation, Father, into something of beauty of love, of giving. Thank you for the way Jerry and Monica have led this for years and years and years, for this church has supported this, God. And we pray today that we can change many Christmases for many, many children in our area. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
You know, Jerry, I've, I've asked you to help lead us to the table because I think this is a perfect point because the reason we live this way is because of a God who sacrificed everything. So just to, for a moment, I want you to talk just how is the story of Jesus, because that's what we're talking about today, how has that changed your heart, ending up on the cross? Well, <clears throat> the cross... Um, with the Meredith Foundation we can give people hope (laughs) eternal hope is only through Jesus we have seen amazing transformation going in people's lives through the Meredith Foundation which God by the way is the one the architect of that too but our eternal hope it changes you because there's no other way to have that eternal hope there are so many of us, and I, when I see young people, I, there's so many of us chasing different things, and, and they're all good things, and they're trying to get everything for their kids, and they're trying to get the best job, and we're trying to get a nice home, and I, everybody's striving for that. And <clears throat> it, it's, it's pretty much all vanity without the cross. It's, um, it's just something that um, is a whole different level. I, for me, honestly... One of the greatest things about the cross is reconciliation. I have seen community come together with this Meredith Foundation like God has just stepped in and just said, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be bigger than you can imagine. But um, for me, it gets me back to Meredith. There's reconciliation going to happen in heaven. And I always think of that last line of that great, Uh, when we all get to heaven the last line of the verse it says just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay just one glimpse and I believe that but you know it's hard to do that every day but if we can remind ourselves maybe once a year we we can live it through the year would you pray for us while we take before we take communion together sure God I thank you so much for this day and I do thank you for this time of communion God, I thank you that we can commune together with each other and with you. God, I thank you for this community of believers. And I thank you for that you have changed all their hearts. God, I know that um, there are struggles everyone has and there are struggles that, that are ongoing right now. And I ask you to show them your love and help them remember that the cross of Jesus changed everything. That they have eternal hope that they can have eternal joy, even when things on earth aren't exactly right. Thank you, God, for this time of communion. Thank you for the bread and the blood of Jesus. Forgive us of our sins in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the quotation we started with. We attributed it to the Grinch, but I think there's someone else we could also attribute it to. I think Satan would say to us today, I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. Now, why would he do that? Because he knows how powerful Christmas is. I love the story of the man. He went to the Holy Lands. He bought a nativity set made out of olive wood, and he packed it all up to take it back to the States. He's going through security at Tel Aviv Airport, and he's a little surprised when they take his nativity set, unwrap it, and they begin to scrutinize it. They, They actually x-ray it 
that he just can't help himself for a moment saying, why in the world would you x-ray that? And the security person said this, you see, we must make sure there's nothing explosive in them. And that's the point I think we need to make this morning. Why would Satan want to stop Christmas? Because there's something explosive in the story of Jesus. Why does our culture go so far to say no? Why do churches get in trouble? A church in uh, Bower County, uh, Florida, not too long ago, a couple years ago, put a nativity scene out with a, a sign that said Jesus is the reason for the season. The city asked them to take it down. They took it to the court system. The court system affirmed their freedom of speech, but asked them to put Calvary Chapel says Jesus is the reason for the season. Why do people not want you to pray in public in Jesus' name? Because the story of Jesus is explosive. My friends, if you let this season, this story, get in your heart, it will change you. We've got 20 days till Christmas. Many of us dread it. Be honest about it. Many of us, we don't dread it. We just, we just sort of want to make it through it, you know, so we can get, get past it. Friends, I beg you today. Don't be the Grinch. Don't dread Christmas. Don't hate Christmas. Whatever you got to do to simplify, to make things easier, do that. And return to the meaning, the real meaning of what this is. To this incredible story that no man could make up. No man could make up. That God would become an embryo, a baby, be born in a barn to a teenage girl. To change the world. To end up on a cross dying in our stead, and to resurrect to give us life and hope. Because this story is explosive. And you know, maybe Satan's not going to directly try to get you, oh, I'm offended if you pray in Jesus' name, or say Jesus is the reason for the season. But he will definitely try to keep you too busy, too hurried, to actually embrace this. Because he knows, and we should know, this is explosive. And so today, if there's hurt in your life that's making your heart hard, if you already anticipate with dread this season, if today you're ready to make it about Jesus, if today you're ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life, then why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing.